Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and turtles everywhere with dreams of the Boston Marathon. It's three o'clock California time. You know what that means? It's time for Talking L2 with BBP. I'm your host, the diva of SLA, Bill Van Patten, coming to you live from a beautiful 70 degrees central California. Joining me from the great state of New York are my co-hosts, both of whom have turtle-like reflexes, Walter Hopkins and Angelica Kramer. Hey, Walter, say hi. Hello, everybody. Happy Wednesday. We've made it halfway through the week once again. Yes, we have, my little ninja turtle. Um, Angelica, are you there? Angelica, say hi. <laughs> Einen schönen Mittwochabend. I would like to know what is a turtle reflex? A turtle? Oh, my screen just disappeared. What do you mean what a turtle reflex is? That means like it means... Slow? Okay, I see. Come on, but Walter and I are not slow. Move like... <laughs> He's so kind, you know. No, you two are fast on the trigger. No, 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 no. <laughs> Angelica, guess what today is? I know what today is. It's somebody very special's birthday. Oh, my. Are we going to sing? Walter, oh, are we going to sing? Happy birthday to you. you zum Geburtstag, viel Glück. Viel Glück zum Geburtstag. Zum Geburtstag, viel Glück. Woohoo! Well, thank you all. Yes, everybody out there, it is my birthday today. Do not dare ask me how old I am because a diva never reveals his or her age. Uh, but yeah, it is my birthday today. So I did not take the day off. I'm coming to you live from California. It's, this is not a recording. Um, so yeah, it's been fun. I had a birthday lunch already. I purposely did not drink at my birthday lunch. So I would be sober for this show. Wow. Also, I almost made a martini for this show just so I could celebrate my birthday. You drink. should have, you deserve it. Well, maybe I'll put you guys in charge for five minutes while I go make one. There we go. I like it. <laughs> yeah. We will happily anyway. take over. Silence if that's the, the reason, totally. And I have a birthday coffee after the show and I have a birthday drinks and dinner tonight and that's that. So then my birthday will be over and it'll be just, I'll just be older, older, maybe a little and bit wiser, wiser. Mm -hmm. maybe a little bit wiser, but I don't know. The only thing, the only wiser I am is Budweiser these days, I tell you. Uh, <laughs> anyway, so let's see. We got some. Nah, thank you, Jeremy. Thank you, Jeremy. All right. He's so quick. Don't you just love Jeremy? Yep. Oh, Jeremy, look at his big stuff. smile. I wish everybody out there could just talk to Jeremy. He's wonderful. Um, okay, so uh, some announcements. First of all, guess what, kids? What? The Diva Lip Sync Contest is over, and there is no winner because... <gasps> Why? We had no entries this year. What? So yep, no Aww. entries. So Everybody's fired. This is I it? Know. I know, You kidding? Right? So that... Listeners! That... <gasps> That $200 prize is going to be given to charity. There and Walter's Buick. <coughs> right? <laughs> I tell you. You know, if you want the Buick, I'll take the $200. <laughs> That's about how much. Wait, wait, that, your Buick's not even worth $200. Let me exactly. tell you. Exactly. See? <laughs> Walter, you don't even have a Buick. What do you drive? I drive a Toyota Corolla. All right. Okay. Yes. Yes, indeed you do. Um, I remember that. And I remember, Angelica, you drive a, trying to remember now. I drive now. an Audi Q5. That's right, an Audi Q5. There you go. And I drive a BMW and Jeremy, what does we Jeremy drive? <laughs> I know Paul drives. Jeremy, what do you drive? He's, he drives a Nissan Versa. Oh, he's just, he doesn't want to get on the, Metallic he doesn't want to get on the mic. gray. Metallic oh, gray. Sexy. So. All of you out there in Phoenix, look for a Nissan Versa 2008 <laughs> metallic gray with the license plates. Just oh, come on. <laughs> oh, it's missing a hubcap. Well, yeah, so wave, wave to Jeremy as he drives by. Paul, forget, Paul, Paul you drive a, um, I was just in it back a in car. the car. He drives a oh, car. Whatever. Anyway, so that's right. A Hyundai. Hyundai. Sonata mm -hmm. Surf. That's what it is. Anyway, and, and like I said, I drive a BMW. So I have an SUV BMW, which is a nice little car. Although I had a flat tire this last week, a nail went through it. Oh, God. Uh, oh, yeah. boy. All right. Well, I have a major announcement to make for everybody. I'm going to make it now. Just get it out of the way. Um, those of you in our listening audience out there, we will be sending an email blast out tomorrow. But, but um, we need to announce, I need to announce that this is our second to the last show ever. Um, that means that next week after our show next week, we'll be closing up shop 
And there will be no more talking L2 with VVP live on Fridays, uh, Wednesdays. Oh my God. See, that's why we're closing. I can't remember David. <laughs> so yeah. So we have one more show next week and then we're closing shop. Um, and we, um, I'll put an email blast out, but we'll have things archived for a while on um, SoundCloud until I shut that account down. So, um, but anyway, so yeah, we're going off the air after next week. So come March 1st, Wednesday, you'll be back to playing volleyball or having a martini, whatever it is you do from three to four California time, six to seven Eastern time on Wednesdays um, or on the treadmill <laughs> on weekends, on Saturday at 9 a.m. when you're on the treadmill listening to us. Uh, um, so you have to listen to archive show. So there you go. End of an era. End of an era. Even Will and Grace is going off this year. A lot of shows are going off. So we might as well too. Bow out with grace, as we say. So, and with that said, I want to remind everybody that this is a call-in talk show where you get to ask questions and you get to call in and make comments about what our topic of the day is or anything else related to L2 acquisition, L2 teaching that you would like to talk about. Um, our call, call, blah, 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 blah. See, I did not drink at lunch. I didn't. Um, that was just... <laughs> That's the sugar high from my birthday cake wearing off. I think I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to like plummet any minute. Anyway, uh, our call-in number is 888-209-5205. Again, call us at 888-209-5205. Um, when you call in, remember, you'll need a code when you're prompted by the computerized voice. And that number is 557-797. 0165. And again, all this information is on our website at talkingl 2 with bbb.com if you want to call it. We do have, as usual, our SLA challenge question and our Diva challenge question. And it's a Bet Midler question. We're finishing out the show in the month of February with Bet Midler questions. In a minute, I'll read the SLA question. Uh, then I'll read the Diva challenge question. The first person to call with the correct answer for either question wins a prize. So, Wally. Tell everybody once again what our phone number is. Our phone number is one. Well, I guess I don't need the one anymore, right? No. But anyway. <laughs> Are you ready for this or not? I yes. mean, what eight, is this? Eight, eight, two, zero, nine, five, two, zero, five. Give us a call. Eight, 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 two, zero, nine, five, two, zero, five. There you go. And Angelica is on Mixler as usual. And she's not. And she's got what it. What, yes. What and people are very sad about your announcement. So, uh, well, and very can... appreciative of what you've done. Well, they thank you so much. For, thank you all for saying that. Um, so call in and say hi. Remember, and last week we're going to have a next week. We're going to have a special show where I take everybody on in the business. And you don't want to miss that show. Oh, 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 oh. wow. Um, nice. I'm, I'm going to go out with, I'm going to go out with a bang next week. And I, I it like too. it. Yeah. So with Yikes. that said, Walter, do you want to let everyone know who our sponsor is this week? I sure can. Today oh. we have the same sponsors last week and the week before, uh, but it's great. This is our sponsor for the month of February and it is Voces Digital. You're ready to switch teaching with switched. <laughs> Let's try that again. Oh my I'll God, you're up. as bad as I am. Start over. <laughs> what is you know, going pay, on today, they guys? Paid, they so... paid money for this, Walter. Come on, please. <laughs> you're ready to switch to teaching with comprehensible input, but where do you even begin? You need compelling stories and cultural material. You need a variety of activities. You need scripts and advice to help deliver comprehensible language in an engaging and effective way. And you need this for all levels from one through AP. You need Nuestra Historia and... Notre Histoire, online French, sorry, online comprehensible input-based curricula for Spanish and French. There's nothing out there like it. With contributions by Brian Candel, Gary DiBianca, Kara Jacobs, Bess Hales, Profe Loco, Senor Jordan, and others, the Voces CI series brings together some of the best minds in the field. We invite you to experience the material for yourself. Go to VocesDigital.com or call 800-848-0256 and get a 20-day free trial. There's no obligation, just free full access to all of the Voces CI titles for 20 days. That's VocesDigital.com or call 800-848-0256 or you can just go to the TalkinL2WithBVP.com website and click on the ad.
There you go. Thank you, Walter. With all those little slips in the tongue, and I'm going to make you write them a refund. Ch- no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're very, very, ha- we're very happy to have Voces as our, our our advertisers this month. Very happy. So we thank them for that. All right. Okay. Here's our SLA challenge question. That's another true false question. Ready for this? Here we go. SLA challenge question for the week of February 19th. My birthday question. All so-called errors, or I should say non-target or non-native-like forms, all so-called errors that learners make are attributable to first language influence. True or false? Again, all so-called errors that learners make are attributable to first language influence. True or false? Call us at 888-209-5205 with the correct answer and win a prize. And as is the case, normally the SLA challenge question is brought to you by Input and More. At Input and More, you will find compelling and quality fiction for learners of Spanish, both L2 and Heritage. And also you can check out the general fiction by yours truly, Bill Van Patten, all at InputandMore.com. Okie dokies, artichokies. Here's our topic for the day. Are you ready? Ready. Are you ready? Born uh, ready, man. Get ready Born to ready. Ready. You Don't you remember that song? Are you ready? Yes, I'm ready. All right, here we go. I, I know that one. <laughs> wow. Okay, there we go. All right, so our topic for the day is implicit teaching. And this is a thing that people talk about. And so I wanted to bring it up before we leave the air, because it actually came up in a question not too long ago. Um, All right. So I want to begin by mentioning two key publications that everybody out there listening audience should be aware of, because these get talked about all the time by people. Those key uh, publications were both uh, featured in the journal called Language Learning, right, which published out of Michigan. The first article I want to mention is by Norris and Ortega, which was published in 2000. And the other article is by Spada and Tomita, which was published in 2010. Okay, again, so Norris and Ortega, 2000, and Spada and Tomita, 2010. Again, both of those are in the journal Language Learning. Uh, Now, these articles, what they have in common is they're what we call meta-analyses. Now, if you don't know what a meta-analysis is, what they do is the following. is A meta-analysis gathers previously published empirical research, right? So there might be 20, 40, 50, 100 studies on a particular topic, right? And they're all experimental in nature. They have experimental design, supposedly, um, and they have uh, statistical things that can be checked and so on. And uh, so meta-analyses gather these kinds of empirical research together uh, if they meet particular criteria. We're not going to go with the criteria. are. Um, so you have to weed some out because sometimes things aren't, don't get published don't make it in the article or things are missing and you have to exclude them from the analysis because there's a bunch of things that have to be in the original article to be included in the meta-analysis. Okay. So then what the meta-analysis does is it it does a statistical analysis. It it examines the the statistical results of the previously published research and performs its own statistical analysis on all those results combined. There's a way they do it, right? And the idea is that these meta-analyses want to try, they want to determine if over time, all that line of research is yielding something significant. So again, they might take 100 studies. By the time they do their criteria, they wind up with 50 or 55 that actually meet the criteria. Then they do their, they look at the statistics. They, they gather the information from the statistics they need. They run their own meta-statistical analysis on that. And then they take those 55 studies and say, together as a group, are they saying something substantial or significant? All right. So. Um, that in a nutshell is what anal- a meta-analysis is. Um, we want to note that um, in the uh, Norris and Otega um, 2000 publication, they offered a very important caveat in their conclusion because both of these, both of these studies, uh, both of these meta-analyses look at research on um, the effects of instruction, right? So teaching somehow teaching people what we normally call grammar um, does that make a difference? Does it have uh, something, does it impact the outcome, right? Um, and they make an important, Norris and Ortega make an important caveat in their conclusion. They say that 90% of the studies they looked at, over 90%, I think it was close to like 95%, but I don't want to, I, I couldn't remember, but I know it's way over 90%. So 90% of the studies they looked at used measurements in their analyses that biased for explicit learning 
and explicit knowledge, right? Again, so the vast, vast, vast majority of the research uses tests and assessments that, vi that bias for explicit knowledge and explicit learning. So that, that, that particular analysis, the meta-analysis, doesn't really tell us anything about acquisition as we normally talk about it or how language is learned implicitly, right? Those, that meta-analysis only tells us something about explicit learning and explicit teaching. But let's hold on for a minute. Before we go on, I want to I look at Spada and Tomita, the one that was published in 2010. Now, this particular meta-analysis focused on the research concerned with so-called explicit teaching and so-called implicit teaching. I'm giving you a spoiler alert before I define what these are. A spoiler is the spoiler alert is that their conclusion was that explicit teaching tended to show greater gains than implicit teaching, right? Over time. Okay. So before we get into that, what are explicit and implicit teaching? Simple pimple. Here we go. <clears throat> explicit teaching involves explaining what is to be learned and then somehow practicing it. Right, and that practice can vary widely. It can be production practice, it could be comprehension practice, it could be a mix of production and comprehension, and it could be different kinds of comprehension, different kinds of production. There's no definition of what practice is in the literature, right? It could be anything, right? So again, explicit teaching means you tell Walter and Angelica what they're learning, and then somehow you make them practice it. Now, um, implicit teaching involves doing those same kinds of practices. It could be production practice, comprehension practice, a mix of both. And again, we don't know what kind of production, we don't know what kind of um, comprehension practice, all lumped together is quote unquote practice. But you do not tell Walt and Angelica what they're learning. Okay, so there is no explanation. So the big difference between explicit and implicit teaching is you just take out the explicit uh, explanation that learners get before they start practice. And again, practice can while, uh, vary widely. So we're not looking at what kind of practice, we're only looking at overall, does something make a difference? Um, now, in the Spotted and Tomita meta-analysis, their conclusion, as I said earlier in the spoiler alert, was that explicit teaching tended to best, that is, outperform implicit teaching on post-tests and tests that were done after experimentation took place. Now. I'm going to be blunt. Sorry, I got a frog in my throat. It's really bad allergy season here in California because the almond trees are blooming in the Central Valley and they just like wreak havoc. We have like thousands and thousands and not millions of acres of almond trees. Okay, so I'm going to be blunt. Here are the problems with using these studies to talk about anything and why you as our lovely listening audience should ignore this research and ignore anyone who cites it as evidence that we should all engage in explicit teaching. So if someone comes to you and says, oh, all this research says explicit teaching makes a difference, you go, uh-uh, hold the phone. Right, so first, let's look at the following. As Norris and Ortega stated, there is a bias in the research for the testing of explicit knowledge and what we call textbook type rules, right? That's very clear, that's what the research is doing. And so we shouldn't really care about that unless you have, and not you in particular, but one has, evidence that explicit learning leads to implicit knowledge or implicit behavior. And we are now sure in 2020 that it doesn't. So explicit learning does not lead to implicit knowledge and explicit learning does not lead to explicit uh, implicit behavior, nor does explicit practice learn to lean, uh, <clears throat> uh, imply implicit uh, behavior. All right, as I look at the literature, um, this, the second point I wanna make is I think just as important, if not more important. And that's that implicit teaching does not imply implicit learning. That's gonna be important. Again, let me repeat that. Implicit teaching does not imply implicit learning. In fact, my contention <clears throat> is that both explicit teaching and implicit, uh, explicit teaching and implicit teaching, learners engage in explicit learning. Again, I'll repeat that too. In both explicit teaching and implicit teaching, learners engage in explicit learning. In other words, what's not important is whether it's explicit or implicit teaching. What's important is we look at what learners are doing during these treatments. So what do I mean by that? <clears throat> That in explicit teaching, learners are told what they're learning 
um, and then they practice it. But in implicit teaching, teachers expect learners to consciously figure out the rules or forms or whatever's going on on their own. That is the expectation of implicit teaching, that learners are able at the end of implicit teaching to be able to state what it is they have learned. In other words, what have you consciously learned doing so-called implicit teaching? <clears throat> but why do we care if learners can figure things out consciously if what they come up with is not what winds up in their heads, right? And this goes back to what I've been saying for years now that what's on page 32 of a textbook is not what winds up in your head. So the real difference between explicit teaching and implicit teaching in my mind is just the explanation that it's still explicit learning on the part of the students that is going on, right? So for me, the issue um, in implicit teaching and why I think we should just dismiss this whole concept altogether, explicit versus implicit teaching, I think is just nonsense, is that implicit teaching still has a grammatical goal. It's just that learners aren't told upfront what that grammatical goal is, but they are expected to arrive at some kind of explicit knowledge via implicit teaching. If that sounds whack to you, that's because it also sounds whack to me. Okay, think about that. You want people to arrive at some kind of explicit knowledge via implicit teaching. So, of course, when you do research on this, explicit teaching will fare better when it comes to uh, tests you take after your treatment, right? Because those tests buy it toward explicit knowledge. The explicit group is always going to do better than the implicit group um, because they both have the same goal, but one is given tools to get there faster. And that goal is not one that we particularly care about. I mean, who cares if they get explicit knowledge in the end, right? So my when I look at the results of this kind of research, I kind of go, duh, like, don't that like, yeah, right. And so, um, but anyway, so my point of bringing this all up to you is because these are important meta-analyses. I'm not saying the meta-analyses are bad. The meta-analyses are very, very good. These researchers, Norris and Ortega and Spontimita are spot on researchers. They did very, very good publications. I'm talking about the research that's looked at and this whole idea of explicit versus implicit teaching and the kinds of tests we use in this kind of research. So please do not say that I said their research is bad. Their research is not bad because they didn't do their research. They're just looking at the research that's already been done. Okay, so those are my comments on that. So if, you're, if you walk away with the idea that there's no real difference between explicit and implicit teaching, you're right. Because it's not about what the teacher's doing, it's about what the learners are doing. And we do this all the time in L2 research when we live with classroom learners, is we so focus on what teachers are doing and so focus on our external variables, we keep ignoring how learners organize and store and process language. All right, so if you wanna call and make comments or ask questions, please call us at 888-209-5205. And we also, we already have a couple of calls on the phone. So I'm going to take a sip of water while Angelica sings you a lovely German lullaby. Um, um, all I can think of is happy birthday. Can I sing that again? <laughs> no. Okay, I'm back. I took my sip of water. I'm a fast drinker, so I took my sip of water. I just saved the audience from happy birthday. Okay. <laughs> well, let's go to the phones because we got phone calls coming in already. Um, we have our first call. Looks like it's from somebody named Gina. Is that correct, Jeremy? Yes, Gina, are you on the line? Yes, I am. Hey, Gina, where are you calling from? I'm calling from Maui. Maui, you know, I'm going to be in Honolulu, but not, maybe I'll go see you in Maui. I'm going to be in Honolulu in April for HALT. You, so. you don't have to come to Maui because I'm going to come see you. And that was one of the reasons why I was calling is just to let you know that I'm looking forward to seeing you at the HALT conference on well, May 2nd. Well, great, great. No, it's not, it's not May 2nd. It's not, I thought it was, is it May 2nd or the end of April? I forget. No, it's, it's May 2nd. Maybe okay. you're coming the end of April, but you'll be at the conference on May 2nd. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've, I haven't, it's in my calendar. So I haven't booked the trip yet. I'm going to actually do that this weekend. So <laughs> but I'll, I'll be there. I don't, so, I don't mean to scare you, Jane. I'll be there. So yeah. No, okay. no, 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 no. And so I, I finally had a period off when I could call because it's only, you know, one o'clock here when you start the show. So I'm usually right. in class and I was going to call you to say Feliz Cumpleaños, but now I also have to call you to say, I am so, so triste. I'm so sad that your what? last show is next week. Yeah. Well, you know, th this happens. All good things must come to an end. They do. <laughs> it's better to go out. It's better go out at the top than to limp out. You know what I'm saying? So. <laughs> 
<laughs> absolutely, absolutely. So yes, I, that's all I wanted to call about. I missed the SLA question. I don't know if you can repeat it. I don't know if I could answer it or not. So oh, that wouldn't be fair. Maybe the next person that's in line wants to answer. Okay, that question, that's so. fine. Yeah, I, so, I was dialing, and then when I got on, it was the end of the question. When I finally what I heard what I will end. do is I'm gonna hang <laughs> I'm gonna hang up on you here in a second. I will read the question again. <laughs> And that'll give you time to call back in if that's the case. Okay, so uh, <laughs> so be listening. Okay, all right. Well, feliz cumpleaños. Can't wait to see you in May on May 2nd at HALT. And um, I can't wait to hear the show next week because that's right up my alley. Let's take them on. Yeah, I got, I got, things, to say to, I got things to say to SLA people, teacher ed people, people in education, <laughs> PD people, administrators. I'm going to, yeah. There we go. All right. So, the views well, aloha to all of you. And I'm glad I... only those of Bill Van Pat. Oh, wait, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> well, aloha to all of you. I'm glad I got to say hello before the last show because I'll definitely not be able to call next week. So, right. aloha, so feliz cumpleaños. And Thank you. Yep, we'll talk to you soon. Okay. Okay. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye, Gina. Bye. All the way from Maui. Yay. Yay. I like it. Yeah. Usually she it's must re- have better weather than Walter and I do. Yeah, she must. Uh, she uh, usually read calls from Honolulu. So we got Gina from Maui. That was nice. Okay, should I? Uh, uh, hopefully, Gina's hung up and she's listening again. So should I read the SLA challenge once more? Time? Yes, please. Here we go. Here's a SLA challenge question. Um, it is all so-called errors that learners make are attributable to first language influence. True or false? All right. And should I read the Ch- Diva Challenge question too and get it out of the way? That we Might have- as well. Throw okay. it in there. Oh, throw it in there and then we'll go to our next caller. Okay, here's our Diva Challenge question. Bet Midler. Yay. Can we get some applause on that, Jeremy? Bet Midler. <laughs> Here we go. Come on. Bet Midler <laughs> has two Oscar nominations. She's won Golden Globes, Tonys, Grammys, everything else, Emmys, you name it. Um, but she has two Oscar nominations. She has one Oscar. But she has two Oscar nominations. Name one of the movies for which she has received a nomination. Again, Bette Midler has two Oscar nominations. Name one of the movies for which she has received a nomination. And we are thankful to TPRS Books for bringing us the Diva Challenge question. TPRS, teaching proficiency through reading and storytelling, the comprehension-based approach to language learning founded by Blaine Ray. Check everything out they have to offer at tprsbooks.com. You can wave to Jeremy on the website. Again, that's tprsbooks.com. Okay, here we go. It's uh, time to go to our phones again. We got, I think Jill is on the line. Jill, Jill, Bo Jill, banana, fan of fulfill. Hey, Jill, are you there? Hi, I'm here. Hey, Jill, where are you calling from? Uh, well, th- I'm calling from Pennsylvania, but this is Jersey Jill. We talked before. Oh, and you called Jersey-, me Jersey Jill before I hung up. <laughs> Oh, that's right. Jersey Jill. I remember you, Jersey Jill. So now, yep. I have to call, now I have to call you. I don't know what I can't, I can't make, I can't do a, you're in Pennsylvania. It doesn't work with Jill. So, all right. That's okay. That's right. Okay. So what, you what's can, up? you can take the girl out of Jersey, but you cannot take Jersey out of the girl. Well, you no. know, there's a fine line between Philadelphia and Jersey. You know that don't pe- tell people in Philadelphia that, but <laughs> yeah, but I'm the New York Jersey. So. Oh, so you're like, a, are you by uh, like or, uh, the oranges are up there north like that or what? Well, I'm sent, well, central Jersey. Oh, okay. A lot of people don't recognize central Jersey, but Jersey Shore. Oh, Jersey Shore. That's right. Okay. All yeah. right, Jill. So what are you calling about? <laughs> okay. The SLA um, question. Oh my gosh. Go oh, okay. I have an Gina, answer. Who's, Gina, who's just listening. That means you have to answer the Diva Challenge question, Gina. Okay. So Jill, let me uh, read the question again for everybody. And then Jeremy will give us a drum roll. So here we go. All so-called errors that learners make are attributable to first language influence. True or false? Jeremy. And Jill from Jersey says. False. Yay. Woo! Yay. Yes. Actually, um, most things that learners do um, that are non-native, like are what are called developmental. And they look, some of them look very much like what children do learning a first language. Um, and so there's been a lot of research on this um, that first language influence is actually uh, constrained um, during the process of acquisition, at least in terms of what comes out of learners' mouths. So yeah, good for you. You win a prize. Good for you. All right. All right, yeah, Jill. I just remember, so, 
Go ahead. I just remember my daughter, um, she always said goad and she had like the cutest little errors, um, but her brothers would always try to correct her and she would just take it personally and get so mad. I'm like, she's not ready yet. <laughs> right. There you go. And the students um, do the same thing. The students yep. do the same thing. They go, yeah, you, you, they can repeat what they can repeat when after you, then two minutes later, they'll say goad or what, or they'll say wented. Right. So. <laughs> <laughs> But anyway, so you know what to do. You send us an email at talkingl 2 with BDP at <clears throat> gmail.com. And we will send you, make sure you send your full name and your address. And I will send you a prize in the mail. Okay. Thanks, Bill. Happy birthday. And we're going to miss you. you on the show. Oh, I think well, I've listened you. to every episode for like the last three years. So. Oh, oh, my wow. gosh. Look and I just like learned so much. All right. So well, I'm sad I'll see you that. on the road. I'll see you on the road. I'm sure. Maybe you'll catch one of my... Um, one of my farewell tour shows uh, while I'm on the road this year. So there you go. Find out where I'm okay. at. Okay. I have to publish a schedule since I know what it is. <laughs> I'm behind. All right. Okay. All right, Jim, great. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye, Jill. Bye-bye. Thanks for calling. Bye. All right. That's fun. I love giving Walter's car away and also. <laughs> what? No, 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 no. Mine is not up for grabs. Not happening. Not oh, happening. No, it's not. Your Audi's nope. not up for grabs. Oh, I love him. No, he's mine. He's my boy. Oh, oh it's a he, huh? Mm, he is. Yeah. What's his oh, name? Okay. Q. I mean, come on. It's a Q5. He has many like buttons and like magical oh. things like Q and James Bond. Oh, my gosh. Mm-hmm. She's got a Bond complex, Walter. <laughs> <laughs> She's got a license to drive. <laughs> exactly, I do. And just for the record, Gina would have known the answer too. I'm sure she would have. All right, Gina. Sorry about that, Gina. And we got a call coming in, and I think it's going to be about. The, I have a sneaking suspicion our next caller is about the Diva Challenge question. So, Gina, I think you got pushed out of that one too. So, let's put our next caller on the line, Jeremy. That is Anna. Anna, are you there? Yes, I am. Hey, Anna, where are you calling from? Buffalo, New York. Have you called him before? Yes. Yes, okay. I have. I thought so. I, my, we my, know my, you. My mind is not a complete slip these days. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Anna. I think my notes here on the screen say, are you calling about the Diva Challenge question? Yes, I am. Okay. Well, then I'm going to read the challenge question one more time for everybody in our listening audience. And then Jeremy's going to give us a drum roll. And then you're going to give us an answer. Here we go. Bette Midler has two Oscar nominations. Name one of the movies for which she received a nomination. Drum roll. Take it away, Anna. The answer is? The Rose. Hey. Great. You get a double prize if you know the other new movie. For the boys. Hey. There you well, go. Great. Wow. Awesome. I'm writing down. All right. I'm writing down double prize. <laughs> double what, prize. <laughs> right. What you got to do now, uh, Anna, as you know, you, what you've got to do is send me an email at talkingl 2 with BBP at gmail.com and uh, put your name and address in there and also remind me, say, I got the double prize and I will send you that okay. email tomorrow. Thank Sound you good? very much. All right. Sounds good. Anything else on your mind? Just the Diva Challenge question. Otherwise, I'll let you go. Dan wants to say hi to Walter. Hi, Walter. Ooh. <laughs> Hi, Dan. Hi, Anna. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Walter and I went to high school together. Oh, that's that's. I remember that from. I remember that little connection last time. Yeah. Oh, Angelica, what incestuous web we weave on this right? show. Crazy. <laughs> oh wow. Next thing you know, they probably married each other's cousins or something like that. You never know. <laughs> Actually, my thanks, mother, Bill. I had a, <laughs> all right, Anna, thanks. Um, I, had, I had an aunt and two aunts, my mother's, two of my mother's sisters, who married two brothers. So I had, those cousins were double cousins to each other. Isn't that something? Hmm. Wow, that breaks my brain, actually. All right, <laughs> imagine two brothers marrying two sisters. That's something. All right. Okay. I think Anna's still on the line. I see her little. Yes, thank you very much, Bill. All right, Anna, it's thanks. It's been an honor to listen to you. I'm sad you're going off the air, but I'm oh. glad I got to listen to you while I could. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you. And we were, we're going to be archived for a while, so you can go back and listen to different things if you want. So even Tea with BBP okay. is so long. So, okay, thanks. thanks and so happy much, birthday. Anna. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. And don't get, I hope there's not too much Bye-bye. snow on the ground. Bye-bye. Drive safe. All right. Bye, Anna. Bye-bye. Thanks for Bye-bye. calling. Okie dokies. Okie dokies, our little artichokies. 
Um, uh, let's see, while we, if we see any more calls coming in, I think we've got some emails coming. I don't know if there's any, let's add, Angelica, is there anything I mixed up before we, I know Walter's got some emails for me. Um, Diane um, was asking, first of all, she uh, also thanks you for the show. And she had another meta-analysis question that she, or another meta-analysis that she'd be interested in comments about, which is comprehension-based versus production-based grammar instruction, a meta-analysis of comparative studies by Natsuko Shintani, Xiaofeng Li, and Rod Ellis, and which was also... That was published yeah. in applied, I think that was published in applied linguistics, was it? She thought in language learning in 2013 as well. I don't think it was. I, I, yeah, I actually don't know that one. Okay. Um, and um, I, I'm almost positive my comments are going to be the same. So um, whenever you talk about grammar instruction and you're comparing two things, I, my answer is always why. <laughs> you know? So I mean, I, 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 I know, I, I know that. Actually, I think I have looked at that one. And um, I didn't include it in this discussion because I want to focus on implicit teaching because I just think that's such a odd, odd, if not oxymoronic um, construction, implicit teaching. But anyway, um, and so that, that study is not about, or that meta-analysis is not about implicit teaching, but about uh, comprehension versus production, which I think is, is a horrible, horrible dichotomy because they lump a bunch of things under comprehension that aren't, they're not all the same and lump a bunch of things under production that are all the same. And you can't do that. That, that, that renders a lot of these meta-analyses problematic too, because as I said earlier, you can have widely different kinds of practices. So you can have widely different kinds of comprehension practice. So not all doing the same thing. People think that my processing instruction is comprehension practice. It's not, it's processing. Processing is not the same thing as comprehension practice as it's normally understood, but I get lumped in with those studies and it bothers the heck out of me. Um, just like you could have listen, you could have repeat after me and drill be lumped in with production as opposed to, you know, some kind of communicative interaction. So anyway, enough of that. So that's Diane. That's what I think about that from my recollection. It's been a long time since I looked at when it came out. So I did, I did remember it now. So, all right. I want to give a quick shout out. So I actually saw Anna last week, I guess it was at Nectful. And I also ran into a couple of very faithful listeners and I promised them I'd give them a shout out on the show. So here is the official shout out to Tim and also to Mike. Mike was actually giving the best of Massachusetts presentation at Nectful and it was oh, nice. quite good. So good. Good anyway, hi, Tim. Hi, Mike. Excellent. Glad to see That's people all. out there doing stuff. Keeping it moving and shaking. Love it. Okay. <clears throat> Wally, don't just sit there and look at me. <laughs> <laughs> see, Angelica's like you weren't here. I got the volleyball in front of me again. Here we go. What? <laughs> and for yeah. everybody out there who doesn't know, Angelica and I were teasing Walter because he got all his hair cut off. So he does look like a little... He looks like a bearded version of Charlie. It looks like a bearded Charlie version, a version of Charlie Brown right now. So. <laughs> wow, thanks. I'm assuming you hey, want to. Charlie Brown is question. cute. That was a compliment. <laughs> well, we have an email question uh, that came in from Joy. And to Joy the is, world. Go ahead. That's right. Joy's from Memphis, and she says, "I know I'm how walking important- in Memphis." <laughs> I got a song for everything. I'm watching. That's right. I'm with you. You know, it's in my head too. So, right. So, go ahead. All right. Uh, she says, I know how important it is to actually teach in the target language and language classes. I'm curious where the actful mandated 90% rule came from. I realize this guide guideline is for both students and teachers to use the target language 90% or more in the classroom. For frame of reference, in a 60 minute class, that would mean the L1 of English should be used for six minutes or less each class period. What is the science behind this target? Is it a number out of thin air? What are some tangible practices for improving, let's try that again, improving target language use for teachers and students other than simply using a timer to track progress during class? I heard you also say last week to a caller during your tasks episode that English use is simply going to happen in a novice level classroom before, during, and after tasks. How can we get to the 90%? Is this even a worthy goal or should we aim for something more like 70 to 80%? I'm struggling in limbo between English just happens in a novice classroom and students and teachers need to operate in 90% target language. Thanks, Joy from Memphis. 
Thank you, Joy, from Memphis for that question. Um, that's a conundrum. It's a conundrum question for a variety of reasons, but let's tackle the first part, which is where does 90% come from? I think that's the first part of the question, right, Walter? Um, Indeed. So um, my understanding, and Angelica and Walter can correct me if I'm wrong or anybody else who's listening for that matter, is there's no science behind that. My guess is, and, and if anybody from Actful is listening, please call and tell, and tell us where this came from. But my guess is, and again, this is a guess or speculation, is that some people sat around the room were thinking about best practices and say, how can we, what, what, how can we push teachers along so there's more interaction and use of language in the classroom? Oh, we need to come up with a number. What would be a good number of percentage use in the classroom? 75%, no, that's too low. 100%, oh, that'd be too hard. Blah, blah, and eventually hit on 90%. That's my guess of how it happened. So people sitting in a room coming up with what would be a good practice or a best practice idea, right? Um, the problem with that 90% thing, I'll just say this as an aside because it's related partly to what Joy is asking. The problem with that 90% is it says teachers and students will use this target language, which is a terrible word, by the way, 90% uh, of the time. In novice level classrooms, teachers should be using language all the time or as much as possible. It's teacher talk and communicative talk from teachers that should be 90% in the second language or more or predominate right? Um, because novice learners can't, and, you're, and they're going to they're gonna wind up lapsing the English now and then because they have to. They just do because you're going to wind up do, pushing them to do something, and they can't say it in the second language because they got nothing to say it with. That's not going to happen until they get to the intermediate level, right? So, um, so you have to expect novice speakers and novice learners to be operating a little bit in the L2 and some in the L1. That's just going to happen. So my recommendation, Joy, is focus on yourself what activities, tasks, uh, and the like am I doing in class so that I am using 90% or more in a communicative context so my learners are getting lots and lots and lots of comprehensible input and quality input, not just comprehensive, but quality, compelling, interesting, uh, targeted for them, stuff they want to listen to or read. Um, and then expect, don't expect 90% out of them. Um, but if you construct your tasks, everything right, they be able to shout one word out, write you know, two words out, whatever, um, in the second language. So they can stay in the second language, but it won't be, um, it won't be created language all the time, right? And by created language, I mean putting them on the spot where they have to think and then come up with something in the second language as opposed to um, um, you know, either repeating something you said, not repeating, but like you say, like Fax Walter. Um, you know, so who's in that story? Is it John or Tom? He goes, no, it's Tom. Okay, so Walter hears John or Tom in my question, and he, re he picks Tom out as the answer and says that, right? So yes, no questions, either or questions, the kind of thing may predominate at the novice level so that learners can interact and participate, right? Okay, so I would say worry less about that. Remember, guidelines are guidelines, and, um, and you have to interpret them and figure out how they work for you. They're not mandates. All right, good question. Thank you, Joy. Thank you, Walter, for reading that question. Yes, of course. Okay, we got another call coming in. Uh, we got a call from, I think it's Elena. Uh, do we have Elena on the line there? Elena, 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 are you there? Yes, thank you for singing. Hey, Elena, uh, where are you calling from? <laughs> Northern Vermont. Northern Vermont. Hey, is that where Ben and Jerry's is from? <laughs> yes. All right. I expect some ice cream for my birthday. Just kidding. Elena. <laughs> well, and that's why I called to say happy birthday. Oh, thank you. Thank you. All right. Um, but you, didn't, you didn't call just to say happy birthday, did you? Do you have a question for us or a comment? Or? I, I have a question and a thank you. Um, All right. It kind of fits in with Joy's thought. I noticed that when my students chime in in English, because that's what, what they have available in their brains at that point is, as novice learners, Sometimes it pulls me back into English, and I'm wondering if there's something going on that I can do to help me stay in the language that we're trying to acquire together in class. Does that you know, make sense? Yeah, it does. And I don't have I have no magic wand for that, except you have to be vigilant. If you know you're doing that, um, and um, and what you should do. Have you ever videotaped your class? I have. Yeah, I hate it. <laughs> well, yeah, we all hate videotaping ourselves, but it's a very, I, I use it for self-reflection. So what you do is you videotape your class and then you look at it and say, and say, why did I do that? 
why did I answer in English mm-hmm. when I could answer in Spanish or French or whatever your language is, right? And uh, it might be French because you're in Northern Vermont, right? I don't know. It could be Spanish. That's exactly what it is. I was, I'll say there. So, um, so uh, why didn't I answer in French? And you analyze and you write down and make a little diary of, uh, you know, and, and, the, and the more mm-hmm. you make a little diary when you do it and reflect on it, I think it's going to make you more conscious of it um, mm-hmm. and develop strategies to not do it. I think what we do, it's, it's kind of like, it's kind of like dieting and, and, and workouts <laughs> gym and, and other kinds of things in life. You know, when you set goals, if you just think about them, you're not as nobody ever loses weight or gets more muscle at the gym or, or runners becomes fat. people who keep logs of activities and have goals that are concrete and actually write down what they do tend to achieve goals better than those who don't. A research is pretty that clear. On that. So if you keep a little log, say, I'm going to watch some videotapes and you have to, don't watch them all just, you know, Watch five or ten minutes and, and note when you'd go into English and then turn it off because you don't want to watch a whole hour. You know, that'd drive you crazy. And then keep a, <laughs> keep a log for a week or so and then reflect on it and so on and say, I'm going to try and try to do this. And then when you get down to the class, write down um, what you remember from your doing in English or, you know, if you actually want the French. If you do that, you'll get, I think you'll probably get a better sense of, of what you're doing, why you're doing it, and, and then you'll do it less. Because it is easy, it, it is easy to get pulled into English, and it's not that that's bad. It's not that that's bad. It's just that it's less opportunity for them to hear French, right, from you. So, right. so that's what we want. We want them to hear French and have to interact with your French, even if they respond back to you in English and say no to you, or they go, "No, I didn't do that." At least you were speaking French. They understood it, and there's acquisition going on if that's the case. So, yeah, yes. So try that. That's a little perfect. Joke. Thank you try. so much. All right, and. Thank you for all of the help that you've given us. It's like being able to go back to school without having to pay all the money and write all the papers. <laughs> well, there you go. Well, that's, <laughs> that's a nice thing to say. Good. We are, we are, look at that, Angelica Walter. We are teachers without giving homework. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Thank all you right. very much. Happy birthday. Thank you, Elena. Thanks for calling in. Stay warm. Thanks and for safe. calling. Bye-bye. Bye, Elena. Bye. All right. I knew, I knew she was been Ben and Jerry's country. I just knew that. All right. <laughs> What's your favorite Ben and Jerry's flavor, Walter Angelica? Do you have one? Uh, Jeremy, Paul, do you guys gosh, like I Ben and Jerry's? I haven't had one in a really long time. I actually went to their Ben and Jerry's factory in Northern Vermont at one point, but I don't, nice. I don't remember. I don't eat it very much anymore. I don't either, but my favorite is Chunky Monkey. Oh, I do remember that. That's yummy. Chunky monkey. I like chunky monkey. I like saying, I just like saying. Chunky that does, monkey. yeah, that is good. I like that too. That used to be my nickname when I was a kid, actually. Oh. <laughs> you should not have disclosed that, Walter. Really? I thought or it was. Shall I call you Chunky Monkey? Chunky. I thought his nickname was Wallyball, but maybe I was wrong. So. Oh, my. That's your nickname. That's only me. you, exactly. I was That's about right. to say. All right. I think. How about uh, how about another question from email, Walter? You got one for me? I do. Or should I say Chunky Monkey? Hey, Chunky <laughs> Monkey, you got, a, you got a question from email for me? Uh, this is from Stephen, and he sent us a task, or what he thinks is a task, and he'd like to know uh, what you think of it, okay? Oh, my God, this is going to be a long one, huh? <laughs> no, it's a short one, actually. He says, learners read some online restaurant reviews or simplified versions thereof then they write their own review and the class's reviews are compiled in a booklet or on a website so that everyone reads each other's reviews and decides which restaurant they would like to go to um what do you think bill i'm i'm trying to figure out what is their learning about themselves and the world around them are they if they're actually if the goal is to learn about restaurants i mean what can i sit back as a teacher and go what have we learned and the students going, wow, I didn't know that before. Um, th- my, my goal and task is to get that to happen. Um, and so that, while that, th- that has all the qualities of a task, I think it's missing that wow factor, right? So it's, it's, I'm not telling Stephen it's not a task. It, it sounds like a task. Um, but it's missing that part of what have I learned and, and why have I learned this? What is interesting about what I just learned? Does that make sense? So like... Um, well, I'm, I'm not going to try to. I can't, I'm not going to try to alter that task for Stephen because I, I can't off the top of my head. But, um, yeah, um, <laughs> I, I, uh, I, I, I just, I just think of. Ta- I think I just think of tasks not differently from other people. It's just, it's just my mind goes to connecting language use to the outside world and not language use for language practice for the classroom. 
if that makes any sense. And it, and it's and it's I think that's that's just because I'm the way my, that's the way my mind works. That's the only way I know how to make communication work, is if we're not connecting stuff in the classroom to the world outside of us um, and and ourselves. Then I think we're missing opportunities. We 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 fall down on communication that way. Um, it's easy to slip into language practice. So. Anyway, Stephen. So it looks like a task. It does, but I, but I'm, I'm wanting, I want the wow factor. Like, what have I learned? Wow, this is interesting. And to make sure it doesn't slip into just for the, yeah. the purpose of it isn't just language practice, right? Because I because I think if I were still in that class, I go okay. I'm just doing a review. I'm practicing this. I'm doing that. But you know, are people going to really read this, right? Um, and uh, that sounds more like a project as opposed to a task. So um, project based learning. Um, sometimes has the same outcomes as tasks and sometimes they don't. Um, anyway, at least in my world. So good question. Thank you, Stephen. All right. Thank you, Bill. All right. I Any more questions? Anything on Mixler and Gallica before we go back to another question? Because I know we have a ton of questions in email. So, so Jill was um, asking if you can link to resources that support or explain implicit language teaching on the website. If there is anything that people can use in their fight would be appreciated uh no other than what i just said what happens is most i'm gonna say this next week about sla scholars so i'll give a preview a lot of sla scholars who then try to tell teachers what they do are shallow readers and they don't they don't go in and actually think about what they're reading they just go oh look what this meta-analysis found and therefore here so so you know um then um the um Teachers are, are thinking that these people in the university are saying, hey, the research shows X, we should be doing X. And so I can't think of anything out there that's going to show you that. You'd have to, because anything you're going to find is going to be biased toward implicit teaching. And my whole point is implicit teaching is an oxymoronic concept. It makes no sense because implicit teaching is just explicit teaching without explanation. And the, because the goal is still a grammatical goal, it's still trying to get learners to be consciously knowledgeable of something and so on. Um, and so I, I just makes no sense to even worry about it. So my bringing it up is so that you don't get bamboozled by people out there saying, oh, you should know about this. It's important to this research. You go, nah, it's really not. I don't need to know about that. So, um, so, and I think I'm the only person saying it. So <laughs> as usual, I'm going to get in trouble. I know someone's going to send me some hate mail. God, I better not go to a major conference soon. I'll probably get. <laughs> Chase in the men's room and chase in the men's room and then do a whirly in the toilet with my head or something. Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh my. no. Oh, That's some of these people are, right there. Some of these people are mean. You don't know they used to go after me. Do you know that when they got tired of bashing crashing, they there was actually in the late nineties, early two thousands, a group of people wanted to do Van Pat and bashing. And uh in the field and in the and it was horrible and I just had to go through it. But you know, who are they now? <laughs> look where I am and look where they are. That's all I got to say. Anyway, so <laughs> there you go. All right. Another question, another comment. Please throw them at me. I'm sitting here on the dock of the bay. Well, Stephen has an additional question. That Stephen um, always has questions. I love you, Stephen. <laughs> I love you, Stephen. Go ahead. And I don't know if you'll if you'll be familiar with this because it's not something I'm familiar with. So it says, whatever happened to brain lateralization studies? 70s throwback. Is language only left brain, left brained, and does it matter to teachers? No, uh, that research was found to be um, problematic and that actually your brain can compensate for all kinds of things. So there's not much, yes, there is lateralization in brain, but they found that, that even if you have a lesion on one side, there's parts of other things, parts of your brain that could take over and do things. So, so people that the whole lateralization thing dropped to the wayside when people realized that your brain is much more plastic and flexible than what lateralizationalists claimed. So that's what happened to that research, Stephen. It kind of fell to the wayside, like a lot of that research. Like a lot of research where people get on a bandwagon and they find out that it's not quite showing what they thought it showed. So yes, indeed you do. All right. Thank you very much. So Jason has an interesting question here. If you were able to have a one-on-one -on -one conversation with the um, future potential presidential candidate, 
who is of the democratic persuasion, I guess. What would be the most important thing or things that you would tell him or her in order to advocate for overhauling the way languages are acquired in schools in the US from kindergarten into high school and even university? Um, I would talk to him about um, bringing- Or her, or her, or her, not him or her. Not at the, well, it could still be, it could still be Amy. <laughs> <laughs> but as, but after this week, I'm not so sure. I'm, I'm, that's why I'm I'm getting worried about that. Um, Amy's up there. And she's one of my top three people. Anyway, so um, I would tell that person, um, you need to get these four or five people together in a room. And I would name the names. I'm not going to name them here. Sorry, Jason. And I would be one of those people. <laughs> you need to get us in a room together. And we will lead you into a discussion about what language acquisition, how it happens, and then what we want to take your federal funding for language education and direct it in particular ways. Do not just throw it out at at large and say X, Y, or Z. Say no. We want to say we want to say specific projects and specific curriculum development that go along these lines. Um, and that's what I would tell them to do. I would sit down and say, um, we know too much now about how languages are acquired, and also about time on task. We also want to say, so there's this two pronged thing. We need to invest not only in developing the curricula that are appropriate for language acquisition, but you need to bite the bullet and develop language learning policies that start at an earlier age, because a lot of it is just time on task. And we would explain to them what that meant. And I don't care what Pete Buttigieg says, if he can learn Norwegian in three weeks while you're reading books, that's fine, because he's a weirdo in a good way. I mean, I like Pete Buttigieg, but those kind of super learners are few and in between. You cannot model curricula on a 1% or 2% population. You have to model it on the 95 to 98% population. There, there we have go. it. Thank you. And the rest of them, I would tell them to learn another second language, damn it. I ha can't ha, think of, I can't hallelujah. Think of, except for Pete Buttigieg, I can't think of a single one of them who can speak anything other than English. And some of them don't even do that very well. <laughs> dicho caso cerrado. I was just gonna say that. I was like, I haven't heard you say that in a while. Come on now. Um, feisty today. We yes. are feisty. Yes, man. I tell you, I'm gonna go out with a bang next week. No, <laughs> the only bang I'm gonna get is someone's gonna throw a firecrack at me when I walk out the door or something or a cherry bomb. All right, we got about another half minute or yeah, another half minute or so. If there any quick questions or anything I'm mixed that we can address. Otherwise we can. I have a super quick one from Jill. Is giving hey, Jill. translation an explicit strategy? Explicit strategy for what, Jill? Teaching. Explicit, explicit strategy for teaching? Uh, no, I mean, it's not explicit teaching. Um, it, it's, 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 it, 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 a strategy does always have a purpose, a strategy for doing what? For facilitating communication, for getting your students to learn something, for what? So um, in, in most cases, it, a translation in the classroom is facilitating communication, the, it, the way I've seen it done in most classrooms, in communicative classrooms, in communicative classrooms. Um, not making students translate, but you quickly translating something so you can keep going, right? Um, that's a communication strategy, and that is a useful thing to do. I think people are told too often to avoid the L1 at all costs. That's mm. just nonsense. Nope. Absolute nonsense. It shackles the teacher. Sometimes throwing a piece of English out, assuming your student's L1 is English, throwing a piece of English out so they quickly can comprehend what you're doing and then moving on is the fastest way to go. All right. Okie dokies. Our time is ending. So it's time to do our acknowledgement, kids. All right. Here we go. We want to thank our sponsor today, which is Voces Digital. We thank them very much, not just today, but for the entire month of February for sponsoring our show. We want to thank our technical producer, Jeremy. We love him to death, Jordan. We want to thank our, our Paul Handler. <laughs> our call. <laughs> our call. <laughs> nice. I know, because I'm thinking about my death next week is what it is. We want to thank our call handler, Paul, take it over for Russ Mandel, because it was Russ's turn this week, I think so. Um, and we love Paul for stepping in like that and helping out so much. We thank our regular sponsors, Input and More at InputandMore.com, and of course, TPRS at TPRSBooks.com. And as a reminder, the ideas and opinions expressed in this program do not reflect those of our sponsors or anyone else. 
other than the trio of voices you hear during this broadcast. And that means Walter, Angelica, and Jeremy. No, just kidding. And me. All right. And of course, we thank all of our listeners out there and especially people who got to call in today and chat with us. So thank you very much. Cue our music, Jeremy. We're going out of here. Okay, remember everybody, last week is, and last week, oh gosh, next week is our last show forever. So you want to call in, you want to tune in live, you want to hear me get down and dirty because I'm going to get jiggy with it. Let me tell you, I'm going to do that. So until next week, take care. Have a great rest of the week. And remember, language is special. And that makes you and what your classroom learners do special. Never, ever forget that. Okay, talk to you all next week. Say bye, kids. Bis nächste Woche. Bis nächste Woche. God, you got it down now, man. So proud of you. I know. <laughs> Only took so many everybody. years. Das ist Walter. Das ist Walter. <laughs> all right, bye, everybody. Have a great week. <laughs>